Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> that was my 2018. <laughs> that was my attempt at a turkey. I'm trying to make my dog's head tilt. You know when dogs' heads tilt? Watch this. Whoa! Now he's I'm horsing. I can't do it. I cannot do sound effects. Happy Thanksgiving, hey, 2018. Hey, canolers. <laughs> hey, this is Tony Gaffestone here. And Wendy Gaffestone. And thanks for all the fun messages, as well as Kristen Beaver, Canolio listener. I never had as much appreciation for emojis as I did this week when you messaged a running man, a donut, <laughs> a crazy face, and a poop emoji. That was the best message i could have received in response to my most embarrassing moment so oh thanks kristen Beaver, Guys, for that. if you're tuning in for the very first time you might want to check out last week's <laughs> podcast episode where tony shares his most embarrassing <laughs> moment if that's all you take from it i think it'll be worth your while <laughs> that was so funny i think i laughed harder at some of the messages people sent me than i did telling that story oh, so good all right so thanksgiving week we want to do a quick um, piece for you to listen to. We have a listen or a, a podcast guest called um, called her, her, her name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her name is Kareen Ostrike. She is a Native American advocate here in the Bay Area, and she's inviting people to an event on Thanksgiving morning, 2018. If you don't have plans, take a listen to her talk about it. Hi, my name is Corinne Ostrike, and I will be a guest on the Holy Cannoli podcast coming out December 3rd. And come join us if you want to hear more about uh, my indigenous activism, surrogacy, and the Buffalo Project, where we work with men on, our, on their masculinity. But I want to let you know about something coming up at Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. On Thanksgiving morning, we have the sunrise ceremony. And anyone is welcome to come and join in. And you can expect to see a beautiful bonfire and a welcoming of the sunrise. Um, so come join and celebrate with us. And if you want to get tickets, you head over to the Alcatraz website. Uh, there's a special events section where you can get tickets for the morning or buy them there if you get there really early. <laughs> And you'll hear more from Corinne on the podcast releasing December 3rd. Cool. So if you are already having plans for Thanksgiving, we would love to know what it is. What are you doing? Uh, put it on the Facebook page. Use emojis if you can. We are, <laughs> attempting, <laughs> we are attempting to cook our first turkey. We've been married 14 years. And we have never made a turkey as a Gap of Stone family. No. I don't know why. Every Thanksgiving, we just always bring side dishes to people's houses so we are attempting this year to do our own bird yes so if you got tips give us some turkey <laughs> you tips. only got 72 hours to give it's us those gotta tips be fast. it's gotta be quick so so get on it. just uh with emojis i'm imagining there's going to be a fire in an oven and it's going to be burnt and if you watch my instagram stories i had a very bad situation with bacon this week so i'm not <laughs> doing well with cooking stuff this week so help so. along those lines we would love to hear your oh, yeah, 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 yeah. funny holiday stories we're trying to compile some fun stories to share on air um <laughs> of people with silly funny memorable holiday experiences um that you don't mind sharing or they can even be anonymous we can read yeah. anonymous so yeah you can email that. podcast at bravemaker.com or put them on the facebook page we already got one submission already that is hilarious or maybe gross i don't know <laughs> you, you'll decide when we read it so that's a shout out to our first um person who sent something out oh and on the reel we would love you to be praying uh, for california 
most of you uh, listeners who are a part of California know about the fires going on in the south and the north. The one that's affecting us in the north has taken over 60 lives. There's over 1,000 people still missing unaccounted for. Many people who are experiencing homeless now because they've lost their homes. It is a really huge tragedy. Air quality is so bad they've canceled school. They're encouraging people to stay inside. We're wearing these masks. It's a really hard time. So uh, Thanksgiving 2018 has a really interesting story attached to it. So if you're a praying person, pray. See if you can do things. Donate. Uh, to organizations that are helping others out and keep that in mind as you celebrate around your table to find ways to be appreciative of the people who are in your life. And with that, I think you'll really be thankful and grateful for our guest on the podcast this week. Her name is Laura Turner, and she talks a lot about growing up in the the church world, being a child of well-known pastors, the Ortbergs, John and Nancy Ortberg, and growing up in my hometown of Chicago, a, a part of a large evangelical megachurch called Willow Creek. And she's a writer. She has her own, we'll put this all in the show notes. She's got links and I reference a lot of her work. So make sure you check out those show notes. So where, you can... I didn't know we had show notes. <laughs> what are show notes? I mean, where? I know, right? It's not so official. We do have show notes How now. How do you get to show notes? Okay, so it's not as difficult as it sounds, but I know on the iTunes app, when you click on our file or on our you know weekly podcast, there's a little thing that says details, and you click on the details, and okay. boom, they all show up. Now, if you're listening to it on another app, like Stitcher or Anchor or Pocket Cast, if you just click on it and search around on the actual link, you'll see there's a little information. Sometimes there's a lot of stuff in the show notes. Sometimes oh, there's a little things. Cool. It's just whatever the podcast guest talks about or if they have stuff like books or links, then I put it in there or try to at least. That's cool. Yeah. So with no further ado, check it out. Let's get sacred and strange. <laughs> Let's be strange. That's it. I got it. Happy Thanksgiving. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. I wish that was my first job. That's a me. Oh, you'd be good at that. <laughs> you want fries with that? Yeah. Supersize it. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. We're just going to launch right in. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Hey, uh, podcast listeners, cannolios, cannolers, and cannolians, we have Laura Turner on the podcast today, and I'm in San Francisco. I'm in the cool mission district in her home, and we were just uh, reminiscing about how we connected, so I'm going to let her launch in, but I know her from my seminary. She was working in the admissions office at the time, and you were going to seminary as well, correct? I was not. I think I fooled everyone into thinking I oh, was. Oh, you were I audited a class here and there. Okay. Yeah. I actually was starting a, an MFA program while I was working there. Though. Okay. So I was taking classes for that. So Laura, we always kind of start the podcast by telling or asking people, like, how would you answer the question, who are you and why are you here? Like meaning on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. There are a million ways to answer it, but I am, <laughs> um, I am a writer and a friend, a daughter, wife, and newly a mom. I have a five-month-old son, Chance. Um, And I was thinking a little bit about this recently because I was reading the book Design Your Life, which has been super helpful, interesting. and By the Stanford guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I I, I don't remember his name, but um, one of the questions that he asks you or uh, one of the exercises you do is to kind of write out your life view and your work view. So 
why do you do the things you do in your life? Mm -hmm. Why do you do the things you do in your work? And the thing I kept coming back to was um, in one way or another wanting to be helpful to other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the reason I do the things that I do uh, is to hope to be helpful, especially in my writing. One of the most important things to me is creating writing where you can get to that moment where you read something and you feel like, oh, me too. I thought I was the only one. I didn't realize that I also, you know, felt this way um, that someone else can recognize this. So that kind of galvanizing sense of connection has been a driving mm -hmm. force for me for most of my life. So I love that. And you do have so many facets of who you are. So as you talked about, you're a writer, you're a mom, new mom mm -hmm. and a wife and the cool thing, just, you know, listeners, I walked into this uh, cool space mission district home here, and I know she's a new mom. She's got a five-month-old boy. I didn't know, you know, some parents can be at, at different places when it comes to visitors coming, and I have a little bit of a sniff. I'm all feeling a little bit of a nasal thing going on, so I came with my hand sanitizer in hand, and I just gave her the warning because I don't want to make any parent feel uncomfortable, you know, like, and so she's like, oh, come on in. Like, I want my kid to be exposed to germs. I think that's a good thing. So yeah. I thought that's another really cool part of who you are <laughs> is that kind of parent. So I want to launch in because, uh, as I said off uh, podcast, one thing I have seen attached to your name and I love, and I think I'd love to kind of start there. Uh, you're a speaker, you're an author, blogger, you have, you're on Relevant Magazine, you've written for Medium, but there's this kind of coined term that's been attached to you called Christian culture enthusiast. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. How did that come to be and how has your voice sort of grown and been in defined as that? Mm -hmm. So I, um, I grew up in the church. I grew up with parents who both worked in the church, which was really formative for my siblings and myself uh, in, in one way and in another way, as is the case with your parents when you're mm -hmm. a kid. It just seemed like the most normal thing on earth. Yeah. Um, and I think anyone who was raised in the church can probably relate to some level, having had, you know, there are lots of different experiences, but I really enjoyed um, the church that I grew up in. It felt like home to me. It became a really important and integral part of my identity. My closest friendships were formed there. And so as I think about uh, what it means to love church culture and, and want it to be the best that it can be, I think about, you know, those times from when I was really young and just running around church because um, I was there all the time with my parents who were working there to when I was in high school and um, spending lots of times with a group of friends I was close with to now at 33 being part of a church in San Francisco. Um, I just, I love the way that church can feel like home. Mm -hmm. And I love how I think Jesus's vision for the church um, as a place where everybody's welcome to the table. And when Paul talks throughout the New Testament about the body working together, um, you can't say you don't need the hand or the ear or the eye. That's what the church should be. And I think there's another reason that I'm enthusiastic about church culture, which is that I've seen it done wrong and mm -hmm. I think, or done badly. I think if you're, you know, at church for longer than a couple of minutes, you'll see <laughs> something <laughs> done badly that's one way good. or another. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's um, a good reason for us to kind of reevaluate, uh, try to have good systems, good checks, all kinds of things in place. Um, but it's, you know, church culture and Christian culture has been used to hurt people. Mm -hmm. It's been used to divide people. 
Um, and I think the like political moment that we see ourselves in right now certainly speaks to that. So to have churches be a place of, you know, um, thoughtfulness, consideration, care, openness is one of the most important things. I think, um, one of the, one of the best callings that we can have, because when we look at the life of Jesus, we see someone who just welcomed everyone in all the time, no matter who they were. Um, and that kind of welcome is, is so good for all of us to feel like we can bring who we are fully to completely belong somewhere because the message we get in so many other parts of our life is mm. we have to measure up in a certain way. We have to be better, more impressive. Mm. Um, and that's exhausting. And so for sure. to be part of a group that says we're not going to buy into that feels important to me. Mm. Yeah. So how, I mean, I'm very interested in that, you know, being someone who is a pastor for yeah half of my life, almost most of it, mm. and having kids who grew up running around that mm. building and that space. How did you experience that type of positivity and mm. how did you not? What was the feeling yeah. that made it feel like home to you? Can you share some stories? And you're from Chicago, right? Were you born in Chicago? I was no? born in LA okay. um, and lived there until I was nine. We, okay. My family was, was at three different churches kind of in the LA area and then at nine we moved out to Chicago okay. and then from nine to 18 that's where I was so okay. those like very formative years yeah. of life um, were super important and gave me an, an unending love for a hot dog joint called uh, Portillo's uh-huh. that I try to go back yeah. to. Yeah. Well, you know, that's where I'm from. So yes. uh, I had some, you know, like affinity toward your Chicago growing up. So I wanted totally. to talk about that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, so I think in a lot of ways, um, I mean, just being in and around the church felt like home in a lot of ways because of the people there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would, um, go up to my dad's office after the services sometimes and, got to know like some of his colleagues and became friends with their kids. And I would, uh, after middle school services, take my friends up to my dad's office. This is the most like gross pastor's story. <laughs> we go up to the, my dad's office, which overlooked this like lake. And it was a very pretty view. And we would make prank phone calls from his phone for like an hour and a half on end. And mostly I just did it because I mean, a, I think prank phones, prank calls are pretty funny <laughs> still. Um, but I thought that it was a great way to like get the cute boys that I was interested in up and be like, Oh, this girl, she has something to offer. So people you knew, you were pranking people you knew. Yeah. Or sometimes we literally went through the yellow pages. Like the actual yellow yellow pages. pages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes we ordered pizza and like sent it to someone. (laughs) I mean, things that actually, that's like kind of a nice thing to do in hindsight. And the funny thing is I think caller ID was available. That was like the nineties, right? Yeah. So uh, there could have been potentially the caller ID showing this mega church. You were totally (laughs) taking a gamble. If it would be like Willow Creek was showing up on your phone. If you didn't know if who you were calling, like knew it was you or if it was totally, they didn't have caller ID. It was such a thrill. Oh, prank calls. Nobody does those anymore. No, I honestly feel sad. I feel like pretty sad that that. Is a, is going to be a lost art. Oh, <laughs> lost art. Yeah. That's a, there was a. Um, this is a totally like off the beaten track uh, ramble, but there was a whole like tape series I think I used to listen to <laughs> called something. What were they called? Something boys. They were like prankster dudes <laughs> who would record all of the things. What was it? Oh my gosh! I gotta. I'll put it in the show notes when I find it. But I remember it was hilarious. They did voices and they yeah. were like raunchy and crass. But I remember me and my friends putting it in a little tape player and dying. Totally. There are all so those like funny. radio morning shows that would do that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. It was just it's so weird, but so great. So, anyways, I think that you know that sense of community. Um, at the church was so fun. And I, safe, I had it a great sounded time. like. Totally you felt free safe. to be you. 
I felt free to be me. I think my parents both, um, particularly my mom, did a really good job of reminding us as kids, like, you are not, um, you're not representatives of our family. You are not, like, you know, carriers of the family name. Like, when you're at church, yeah, we work here. You're just you. Um, And that was really, really helpful and Mm. made a big difference, I think, in my experience as opposed to other people I know who have had had a little bit more of a feeling like they needed to behave a certain way at mm-hmm. church. So I think that was it. I think, honestly, part of my enjoying being at church was that it was a world that was like I fit into pretty easily. Um, and so that was really, really cool to be able to, to experience. But then when I think about – so my – younger sister who has now transitioned so was Mallory now is Danny and um church was harder for him and so fitting in and feeling like I'm not this feminine girl I'm not quite sure what it is that is making me feel left out but I feel left out and I'm Mm. not sure where to go with all of that um you know for me I felt pretty like I was a girly girl I made friends pretty easily Mm. um could joke around with people and that was definitely harder for Danny and that's not, you know, a, churches have to go through their own journeys with different kinds of issues, and um, that's hard to do. Mm. But I think, to that has made me, you know, think more of like, well, Jesus would have welcomed Danny in. Yeah. Um, how do we do that well as a church? That's it's not an easy question, yeah. but it's important. So that has been important to me. Um, and then I would say just the there were a few key adults who really invested in me and in all of us as kids um, that made me feel like I belonged. So as a kid and then teenager, being part of small groups was really helpful Mm -hmm. and having an older, in most cases, an older woman who was leading a small group of like younger women. um, There, there's something really validating as a young girl and then teenager about feeling like someone else sees you, an adult who's not just your parents And that continued to make me feel much more at home and welcomed at church than at school. Um, I just felt like there were people who were invested in me. Mm. And that was so meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. What were your, I only recently heard about your brother, your Mm -hmm. sister transitioning. I want to talk about that in a minute, but your sibling dynamic of age, where, what was it? So I'm the oldest and very much was like the oldest sister, very bossy, um, but and and pretty like sensitive to what do other people think of me okay. that you know kind of thing. I don't know if you know the enneagram. Do oh, you I do? love okay. the enneagram. So I I thought you might. <laughs> I'm very much a three, so okay. the kind of like I like you to be impressed by me. I want to achieve. Cool. I want you to think I'm um, smart. And then um, Danny is a year and a half younger than me, eighteen months younger, and he um, is a four. So like the artist, uh-huh. the rom- you know unique, romantic, and, unique, uh-huh, very uh-huh. special. And then two years younger than Danny is my brother, Johnny, who's a five. So like the logician, very facts-driven, rational, non-emotional, not non-emotional, but like um, even keeled. And he is actually, he's getting his PhD in physics at UC oh, Santa wow. Cruz. So. Now, I have this vague memory of being at Woodleaf Camp. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's like a plaque or something somewhere oh that he is like a Frisbee golf <laughs> champion. Yes. yes. Right? <laughs> you are 100% correct about that. He is a Frisbee golf champion. He is an amazing Frisbee golfer. I Who knew, yeah. right, that that I could mean, be a thing. 
It, and it, he could have lived in an era when frisbee golf wasn't a thing. So thank God he didn't have to thank experience God above life without That's frisbee golf. Amazing. Yeah. So the Ortbergs have had some significant, meaningful marks in their life I would say all so. the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you guys are all pretty close then. You're yes. you're pretty close in age. You yeah. being the oldest. Okay. And you said you were in uh, Illinois till 18. Yeah. How do you say that state, by the way? Let me hear you say that state. Illinois. Okay, because someone says, my wife and some others oh. say, I say Illinois. Oh, Illinois. How do you I mean, say it? Illinois. I haven't heard, like with an E, almost like with an E at like the Like it's E L L A N O Y. I was like, I don't know. I've been saying this Illinois. my whole life. So I don't know. Anyhow, so yeah. you graduated high school? Graduated high school. Okay, and then moved to California. And then, yeah, I was going to start college. I did start college at Westmont in Santa Barbara, That's right. which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, my parents were, uh, actually thinking about making a move back to California, but Northern California this time, Mm -hmm. they were pretty clear at some point they were going to come back. They weren't going to stay in Illinois forever. (laughs) Um, the winters were just real rough. Brutal. Real rough. You know how this goes. I'm so sorry. It's like November right now and it's beautiful. Are you so glad that you're not there right now? Gosh, so glad. Yeah. Sorry, Ugh. Illinois. Yeah. Oh, boo. <laughs> and um, so I, they were kind of like, it was on the horizon that they were going to make the move. And so they ended up moving to Menlo Park, which is in the Bay Area, just a few days before I started college at Westmont. And so in some ways, it was kind of cool because it was like, well, yeah, I'm going away to college, but now my family's going to be nearby. And that definitely made a difference um, in terms of me getting to see them more. But in other ways, I felt pretty sad because like I mentioned I had this close-knit group of friends yeah and now I'm going away to school and then when I go home I'm not going to know anybody Mm. like it's going to be new in college and it's going to be new at at home so that was a tough time for me and definitely a time I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more but I've written a lot about my experiences with anxiety and Mm. um, being a pretty anxious person and that was a time in my life when I felt really anxious Mm. really anxious you know lots of moving pieces I went to a therapy for the first time that summer which was really helpful and the therapist gave me an image that has really stuck with me ever since where she said it's like you are you're launching off you're in a little boat and you are kind of taking off from the dock and you're going far away from the first time you're going far away from the dock but then your dock is moving also Mm. so when you come home it's not going to be to the same place and um i just found that helpful Mm -hmm. so like that image what did that look like for you to experience anxiety Mm -hmm. um Gosh, there are lots of layers to it. I think on the one hand, it was very physical. Like I I have memories of my first few weeks of college. I hardly ate. Mm -hmm. Um, I just kind of lost my appetite. I was not sleeping well. Um, I was feeling my heart racing and mind racing. So that there's that very physical component to it. And then a lot of just mind spinning, a lot of what ifs. What if I never make friends? Um, what if I feel this lonely all the time? A lot of my anxiety is like feeling the worst case scenario and projecting it out into the future. Okay. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of that. Um, what if I'm not able to, you know, what if all my friends back home kind of forget about me, they see each other and I'm not part of that group. And so lots of lots of hard what if questions. And over time, they started to kind of recede as I did make friends and um, there's just no, no rushing through that kind of process. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm glad that I went through it. I'm proud of myself for going through that at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but it was tough. What I love, yeah, as you mentioned about your writing, you do mm-hmm. speak from a place of like real honesty and transparency. And you, ha- like you said, you want to find or give people a way to find connection to yeah. you. 
So kind of going back to your transition from Illinois to California again and, and experiencing this anxiety, uh, let me ask you about the Christian culture at that, at that time. Mm-hmm. Did you feel safe in that space mm-hmm. as you were dealing with anxiety? And what did you learn as you processed it or share? Because I could make some assumptions sometimes mm-hmm. when, <laughs> when it comes to how we respond to anxiety, but I'd love to hear your experience. Yeah, that's a great question, Tony. And it's one I wish more and more people would think about. Um, so I, I had overall, I would say like a net positive experience in the Christian space um, as an anxious person, but I think I fought to make it that way a lot of the time. I've had people tell me uh, time and time again, that, and this was much more, you know, in, in high school uh, when I was younger, but really well-meaning things like if you prayed more, if you had more faith, if you trusted God more, you wouldn't worry. Or people, and this still happens occasionally, will point to passages where Jesus encourages people not to worry, um, which I believe it really is. It's an encouragement, not the same as a command. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll say that as if to say like, well, hey, if you had everything together, you wouldn't actually be worrying. Um, and I think that my, I I just felt pretty determined to kind of stick things out and say, I'm I'm not going to leave my faith behind. That's not an option for me. I'm not even really considering that because I believe that, that God cares deeply about me and about my worries and my fears. Mm -hmm. And so it was really passages like, you know, in Matthew six, Matthew 11, when Jesus talks about coming to him, all who are weary or, you know, being um not worrying about tomorrow that make me feel like jesus gets it to some extent mm-hmm. in a way that the church culture often doesn't mm-hmm. that jesus understands that the human condition entails worrying and there's no way around that except through it and then trusting him in it um but i do think that when i look back on you know college and and times of transition in my life I wish there had been maybe a more robust system of like uh, like we had a counseling center at our college I hardly knew anything about it I don't think there were very many staffers there I wish that maybe the college had done a little bit of a better job of like reaching out and letting us know about it I also wish I had done a better job of asking for help and Mm -hmm. taking advantage of it Um, I think there are ways that I could have done much more there so yeah I I I hope that through some of the writing that I do, there can be more understanding of anxiety as something that is very physiological and has to do with brain chemicals and personality and habit and genetics um, that complicates the picture a little bit so that it's not just, well, if you were a better Christian or if you prayed more, you would be okay because that only makes people much more anxious. That's never helped anybody. And it's hard because we, and I have been convicted of this in my parenting, we think sometimes those Christian glittering generalities, mm-hmm. you know, to provide comfort. Yeah. Uh, but they, it's weird. They have this opposite effect at times. Yeah. And I even find myself, as I'm in this new phase in life and I feel worries coming up, mm-hmm. I can feel myself feeling anxious. My heart's going faster. I'm like having to catch my breath. I'm trying to teach myself how to totally. practice peace, the presence mm-hmm. of Jesus. But it's interesting how that will be 
um, fueled when I will start thinking about scripture because I all of a sudden feel like I'm not doing it right, as you said, and yeah. I don't have it together. So it's weird how those things work. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts of um, how people could practice, you know, peace in the midst of that if yeah. they find themselves in those places? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. And it's cool to hear you talk about like what you're thinking of in your parenting and your own, you know, in your work. Because um, being anxious affects every facet of our lives for the most part. And one of the things, one of the pieces I love just talking about um, practicing is this, the little book, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And he has lots and lots of ideas about, you know, how we can kind of um, practice God's presence. But he talks often, is this monk and um, was a dishwasher in his monastery. And he talks about how his mind wandered a lot and he didn't get mad at himself, but he uses the word gentle a lot. Gently bring your mind back to Jesus. Don't harass yourself or Uh. beat yourself up. And I think so many of us get very, particularly anxious people are also very Mm -hmm. self-critical. And so we can think I should have done a better. I mean, the should list is endless Mm -hmm. and the, list of things we could have said. It keeps us up at night. It keeps me from sleeping sometimes. And, um, I just can kind of berate myself. And so as much as I can, when I can notice that I'm doing that and then gently bring my mind back into, oh, I'm God's beloved. Henry Nowen helps a lot with this. If you guys haven't read him, he's well worth checking out. He has a, a little book called the inner voice of love. That's one of my favorites. It's basically just his diary to himself and in the midst of a very hard year. And I can't read more than one entry at a time. And sometimes that's enough, right? Sometimes that's enough because it's very intense stuff and very helpful. Um, But just reading and thinking through, yeah, I I need to, um, I need to know that I can be gentle with myself and then I need to know that I'm not alone. So part of that for me is writing about anxiety. Sometimes it's reading. Sometimes it's just naming it. Like I'll do this thing with my husband where I'll just say to Zach, um, hey, I just need you to know I'm feeling anxious. And that feels like it diffuses things a little bit. It doesn't take it away, but it helps me to say, oh, okay, this isn't, uh, I'm not really feeling anxious because there is absolute disaster up ahead. It's just anxiety. Mm. Um, And that's been helpful. So it diffuses the situation a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then to me, by far the biggest and most helpful practice has been and this is, you know, one learned over years of therapy um, has been to just accept my anxiety mm. and to kind of start to say, OK, I don't think I'm going to get rid of it altogether, but I can kind of look at it as this really well-intentioned friend who's always trying to watch out for me, who's way too much on alert, has always had too much coffee um, and is is trying to do the right thing and almost never has accurate information. And so then it can kind of say to it like, oh, hey, it's you. Okay, glad you're here. You're welcome. Like we can hang out. Um, you mm. can yell for a little bit. And then I've got to get back to this work, but you can stick around. And I mean, it feels kind of goofy, but it's just mm. really, really revolutionized my relationship to my anxieties and fears. That's really fascinating in the film world and storytelling, like screenwriting culture. We often talk about how a location can be a character. We talk about how wardrobe can be a character, how these things that are a part of the story actually are things and personalities we interact with. So yeah. I kind of like the idea of interacting with anxiety as a way, like you're, you speak to it, that it is someone or some personality that you're dealing with. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. 
So thank you for speaking on that. I think um, in the show notes, we'll list some of those uh, resources uh, that from Harry Henry Nowen. And I love Brother Lawrence too. I think he, just the idea for me, the dishwashing sp- part, um, mm-hmm. I tend to romanticize what it means to serve God. <laughs> and totally. there's times when I felt like, wow, if I was like leading a worship gathering, oh, I was speaking, I was doing this great thing. Like that was the pinnacle of yeah. how God saw the, the work glorified, so his spirit glorified. Mm-hmm. And no, it's in the small moments. Mm-hmm. I'll say not just, but two, it's, it's, it's in the small mm-hmm. moments of changing diapers, yeah. it's washing the dishes. It's just cleaning up uh, with a good attitude and mm-hmm. recognizing that God is present there. And sometimes those can be those are more meaningful than the way that you feel good about yourself after a large event yeah. or whatever or whatever, you know. So, yeah, I really appreciate that book. Mm-hmm. You. So you've had, okay, over the past 10 years, uh, another space. You leave college mm-hmm. and you start your MFA. I meet mm-hmm. you at Fuller. And you meet a boy and mm-hmm. start a family. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so your writing has actually reflected some of that as well. Um, you yeah. definitely speak to relationship stuff. Mm-hmm. I've seen some things that you've written on relationships and becoming a, a mother and the challenge that that was for you. So where do, would you like to start on one of the meaningful things you've been writing over the past decade in some of your work? Yeah, yeah I I think there are a lot of writers who can do what they do in a way that's very like um, removed and doesn't have to do with maybe what they themselves are going through. And I tend to use my writing as a way to process what I'm going Mm -hmm. through for better and for worse. (laughs) Um, I love research. I love learning. I love reading. And so what I'll tend to do is, um, you know, focus on what I am going through and hope to learn more about that in a way that's helpful to me. And maybe can be helpful to other people. So just thinking and talking through that that last 10-year period was, um, it was leaving Fuller. It was starting an MFA program through Seattle Pacific University. It was a low residency deal, so I did it from home for the most part. And then we met together a couple times a year, which was great. Another really wonderful group of friends from that particular time of my life. And um, so writing a lot about anxiety and then getting married to Zach and writing a little bit about marriage and trying to understand it and how do you, you know, live in a way where you are honoring this other person, enjoying them, still your own person, um, figuring out work, budget, finance, all that stuff together. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, that's its own challenge. And then a couple years ago, went through a time that still feels very tender to me. Um, when we were decided we'd try to get pregnant, I got pregnant right away. Um, had a little bit of a later miscarriage. I was 13 or so weeks pregnant and then, um, pregnant, got pregnant again pretty quickly in rapid succession twice. And those pregnancies both ended around six or seven weeks. And so it was, it was a horrible time of life. Yeah, it was really hard and exacerbated my anxiety Mm. and um you know I definitely leaned heavily on my community then and I'm very thankful for the good friends that I have who I could call or ask to pray um but that was really hard and then I did get pregnant with Chance who's now five months old and that's wonderful and looking back on it it feels great but I also um I had a real tough time both with anxiety in that pregnancy, just being afraid that things would go badly. Um, And then I was very, very sick the whole pregnancy. I had Mm. um, hyperemesis. I was throwing up and hospitalized and um, that sucked. On IVs and stuff like that. On IVs and 
um, having to rest. And then I got gestational yeah. diabetes on top of it all, which oh I just um, was insult to injury. So it just, you know, that was rough. His delivery was really pretty traumatic. And there was a time of about uh, five minutes when there were, um, there was a, a bit of uncertainty as to whether he would make it. And so, you know, thinking back on that now is, is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's here and five months old mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. But I also feel like, I feel like I have this image of myself just struggling to pick up all the pieces of the last couple of years and hold them together in one narrative that's coherent in which the last word is, I have a son, he's beautiful and healthy. Yeah. And that's tough. And I think that um, writing through all of that stuff is a way, you know, is a way of trying to make sense of it, is a way of trying to be helpful to other people. Mm. And, you know, on some level is an act of hope, right? Because... Mm-hmm. To write, I have to believe and hope that someone will read it, that it will be useful and meaningful. Um, I have a, a close family member who's in AA, and they talk so much in AA about being useful to other people. And it's so admirable to me that out of the pain of addiction, um, people come wanting to make something useful of themselves. And so I'm thinking through, you know, it's not necessarily always intentional, but out of the pain of miscarriage and loss and fear and anxiety, um, wanting to be useful to other people because mm-hmm. otherwise what's it all for? Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the only things that makes sense. Um, and really using writing as a way of kind of telling the truth um, about life. Yeah. And I, I admire writers who do that a lot. So trying to do that a bit too. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. I, and I know this is tender and mm. I d- obviously don't want to, I've talked to so many people on this podcast and because we're human, we usually go to places of pain as a way to share about what we're learning and how we're dealing with hope. And I, I so appreciate that. I'm always just sensitive to go. Sometimes it can be re-traumatizing to have to talk about it or mm-hmm. ask questions about it. So, you know, talk yeah. with what you want. But I would want, I would, would love it if you would share a little bit about that process of learning over that time, those two years mm-hmm. of dealing with the pain of loss yeah. through miscarriage. That's something I feel. I mean, I'm a man, and we never went through it as a, as a couple, but we have many friends. And I also was a pastor in a church in which uh, I walked with many families that did. Yeah. And I would say we didn't you don't hear about it as much mm-hmm. in a large public platform, right? In the worshiping culture. And so if you're not a, if you're listening, you're not like familiar with a Sunday gathering. Sometimes your ideas are what you see on TV and movies. And sometimes they're kind of like that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we put on a presentation, someone speaks or some music. Um, sometimes we don't go too deep into the human condition. I think that's a, a, tra- a growth edge mm-hmm. for the church, which is what I think your writing is speaking to a lot as mm-hmm. someone who's a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. And you still would use the word, Christian you label yeah, that and I, I like that I want to talk about that conference coming up in San Francisco isn't there one coming yeah, up okay yeah. uh, stand by for that <laughs> um, so uh, with all with that said uh, can you just talk about the, the learnings like mm-hmm. as you were writing I imagine people reached out to you what are you mm-hmm. what are you finding through that sharing of pain yeah and what can we learn I think one of the most important things for me was just that it is valuable to share pain I mean this idea that um I was reading, and I I don't remember the source of this, so I'll try to look it up and see if I can get it to you for the show notes. Uh But someone talking about, um, you know, this passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus invites people who are heavy laden and burdened to come to him, and he will give us rest. And one of this person was talking about how um, in the days 
when Jesus was teaching and preaching that oxen who plowed the fields would have yokes specially made uh, depending on how much they were able to carry. And so you would have, you know, as an, as a big muscular ox, he would have a, a bigger yoke um, than maybe the smaller ox next to him would be able to bear. And so you would take on, uh, you would take on more and that Jesus audience would have known this and they would have understood what he was talking about when he said, um, my yoke is light because he, he could bear it all. Uh. He could take it on and it would not slow him down. It would not hamper his ministry or his ability to live a life that pleased God. Um, his yoke was light and to be a human in so many ways is to constantly carry a heavy burden. Mm. I mean, I'm just thinking of, so much news today which has felt heavy there was a shooting um recently at a bar in thousand oaks and 12 people died um there you know more and more of this kind of violence it just feels like i feel thin-skinned and like really raw to the sadness of the world right now and um and i don't feel like i can always bear that or hold that on my own and i have to trust that jesus does do that for us Mm -hmm. in some ways um but it can feel like a lot. So I guess my response to that is that in the act of writing, I have learned that it is so valuable to share pain mm-hmm. because it is sharing a burden and sharing a burden makes the burden a little bit lighter for everyone mm-hmm. who's carrying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels really like vital and important to me um, because that translates into caring for people in their everyday life. I wonder too, practically if you're listening and you are someone who has some authority or power in a church setting uh, what does it look like to uh, what would you you know what tips or ideas would you give them in a sunday type setting Mm. what could we do different yeah i think that's such a good question and really one thing that i long for is more vulnerability from the pulpit from people who are on stage on sundays um I, I like church. I like the way things are struck. I like going in and hearing a sermon and singing with the song. You know, I don't feel like you need to kind of fundamentally alter the way that church services go. But I remember in college, there was a guy who would speak pretty regularly at our chapel. And the um, the examples he would use of getting angry or uh, treating other people poorly, they always had to do with his driving and his like road rage. So it'd be like, I, you know, I was driving down the freeway the other day and this guy cut me off and man, I got so mad. And then I remembered like, you know, he's a Christian and I'm a whatever. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like, oh, can you go a little deeper? Mm -hmm. Can you dig a little deeper than that? Is there anything else that you fail in? Because maybe there's not. But if the hardest thing for you about your emotional life is your anger on the road, I I can't relate to that. Like I don't have anything. And I think that when pastors are vulnerable, I mean, I, I know that it's hard and you have to be wise with it. Um, you, you have to th- really think through what you're willing to share and have known. Um, but at the same time, to overly protect our reputation, uh, to, to overly protect ourselves in the name of reputation, I think often does more harm than good and creates more distance um, in a church culture that already creates celebrity pastors. Mm-hmm. So people find connection in pain much more than in success. Mm-hmm. And, so um, true. you know, it, it's easy as a pastor to kind of wall yourself off from that. And 
I, I find myself drawn towards people who are willing to share what is hard for them. Agreed. I would, yeah, and I would love to see that and more, I mean, pastors are human too, but more people who aren't titled as pastors sharing their stories. Yes. And so if you have the, yeah. the pulpit, share it, share it more with people, with women, with uh, mm -hmm. stories of all different sorts, mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm one person and I'm limited and I can't reach everybody. But yeah. if I have the opportunity to reach more people through inviting or even like interviewing like come on and like let me just ask you some questions here on a Sunday morning I think I can go a long way and we could see our church cultures being impacted just like that's why I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted more you mm -hmm. know I want to hear people what they're going through and I can imagine as you share these stories which I'd love to know how do you deal with that how do you deal with all the outreach that comes to you and requests and how do you process all that stuff um I try to, it, it can be tricky sometimes because I feel like, you know, it's particularly writing around miscarriage and loss. And I, you know, miscarriage was hard. It was very hard for me and traumatic in many ways. There are also like way worse things that people can and have gone through. And so holding, like listening to people's stories um, can feel like holy work sometimes. And then sometimes it just yeah. feels, I just feel sad. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I get emails. I'm like, why are you, you should probably see a therapist. This is like, no, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, can't, right. I can't help you with That's this. That's right, yeah. Um, I try to respond to, to everyone who reaches out with a story of their own um, because it's a, you know, it's a bid for attention on their part in a way, not, and that sounds condescending. I mean it like a relational, you know, uh, wave. Kind Can you of. see me? Do you yes, acknowledge me? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's important work for me to do. Not every writer can or should do that. So I'm not being prescriptive, but um, I find that really important. And particularly because I see my work as wanting to connect people when that actually does happen for me, it's important for me to respond and reach out. Um, sometimes, you know, especially after I've written something particularly vulnerable, I will just I'll see that I'm getting some emails. I will archive them and then revisit them the following week. Like I just can't quite go. Need space. I need some time. space. I I feel like I've just been pretty vulnerable and yeah. shared with everyone on the internet about this hard thing that happened, and um, I just need a little space. And then I also um, this is kind of a silly thing, but I keep uh, an email folder just called encouragement. And whenever someone sends like something, it. yeah, I just I keep it there. And maybe once or twice a year, I'll go back through it and think. Because, you know, writing can be hard and I'll think, okay, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's connecting with people. That's good. And Laura, so uh, I will make sure this is in our show notes as well. But you, uh, the, the, the Medium article, was that when you detailed the, the birth yes. of Chance? Okay, so that was awesome. I even yeah. felt like that was yes. cinematic or a TV show mm -hmm. or something. It was just so visual. Mm -hmm. And if you, listeners, please check that out if you read anything of Laura's. Um, so thanks for putting that out into the world. Yeah. <clears throat> you also are really active on Twitter mm -hmm. and I love following you on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I, going back to that Christian culture enthusiast, mm -hmm. I feel like you're also, I don't know how, we, how you feel about this, but you're also constructive oh, around nice. the church and you're also putting things out into the world. Like I saw your gathering intake on growing up evangelical, mm -hmm. which is interesting because you did, yeah. but looking for people to share stories around that. So I'd love to you, for you to kind of speak on 
the um like how do you be critical of mm. the church in this mm-hmm. time and space in a constructive way right because yeah. it's really easy to be negative and bitter and we're in a time we're in the me too movement mm-hmm. we're in uh especially in san francisco we're 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 a little bit more progressive but the rest of the world in mm-hmm. regards to lgbtq or trans rights we're mm-hmm. they're not um, but that seems to be something you're speaking to. I'd love to hear how yeah. you stay fresh and positive while you're being constructive. Any thoughts? <laughs> I do not always stay positive. That's <laughs> a good question. I mean, I think that my bent is definitely to be somewhat more cynical. So I have to check myself on that regularly. Um, or people that I know will check me on that and say, oh, that maybe wasn't the best thing to say or share online. But I think... I mean, for me, my criticism of the church comes out of a genuine and abiding and deep love yeah, for the church. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that you are allowed to criticize what you love. And, mm-hmm. you know, my husband would tell you that I do too much of that in our relationship, too, which is <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> so, like, I have to work on that with Zach of not sure. saying everything that comes to mind all the time. What's Zach's Enneagram? Um, he's a nine. Okay. So he, the peacemaker. peacemaker. So he's yeah. like, you know, just everything's great all the time. Like, uh-huh. why would you criticize anything? Uh-huh. Life's just uh-huh. so good. And I'm like, oh, that's sounds like such a lovely island to live on um but i like that i get to live on it with him but you, he's good it's good for him because he'll probably help you stay a little he bit more totally like does. center right yes. center yeah. yeah so i i think that's one piece of it is just my criticism comes from a place of love i i think of like this is going to sound i don't mean to be like comparing myself to jesus because um <laughs> you know for for the obvious reasons uh but when jesus you know cleanse the temple of the money changers. I think about that often and think about um, there are a lot of people who we need to have a prophetic voice in the church. I don't think that's me particularly. I think I have some valid, you know, like solid white lady criticisms to offer. (laughs) I think there are some really great prophetic voices out there calling the church to account, both in terms of its, you know, its sins as the church and to raise it up to what it can be. Because I think to love something or someone is to really want them to be the best and fullest version mm-hmm. of themselves. And I have that hope for the, the, the global church yeah. really. And I think that there are like, when we think about, you know, there's been a lot lately in, in the news about churches dealing with, um, you know, sexual assault or harassment, mm-hmm. covering that up. Like that's a, that's a criticism that I don't think needs to be, said gently or in in just the right way like there should be no place in the church for that that is not um acceptable that is not okay there's not like a oh well you know maybe we can let this guy stay on staff because he's so valuable like that's just there's not a place for that Mm -hmm. in the church um and then with a lot of other things it's really good to be more gentle and ecumenical and to say um you know i'm not sure what the best way is to to take a church that's maybe never thought about um, having LGBT folks in its pews to start thinking about that. I, I don't envy the people whose job that is because that's hard work. And um, and it's also necessary because most churches have LGBT people there. They just may not know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to, to criticize the church from a place of love, which also requires yeah. that I check myself and um, don't start to let my criticisms puff me up and make me self-righteous and that that's hard internal work for me for sure i appreciate what you're saying right now because i feel the same way and i want with love i want us because i'm i'm part of it Mm -hmm. i am a part of this community this 
body of believers, that's the church as a called out, assembled gathering of people Mm -hmm. on this mission to know God's love, to share God's love. I'm the us there. And so I often try to see the things I'm saying is like, I'm partly responsible, you know, especially me, like a white dude, you know, Mm -hmm. Christian, um, cisgendered, straight, da, da, da. I have been a part of the problem, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I'm trying to listen better. I'm trying to elevate stories. And uh, I look at like things you put out on Twitter, especially around scandals that we have been Mm. dealing with this year. I I was super discouraged in that space this year going like, how is this possible in my time in Chicago being a part of a great mega church that I have friends who are still on staff it was devastating for me to see these things and I remember your yeah. parents were a part of it you were yeah. speaking out on their behalf as yeah. well and I just loved kind of reading that thinking people who are in the arts writers mm-hmm. your, yourself we are called to these places to illuminate injustice yeah. and using our abilities and gifts to do that so I just you know kudos to you and appreciate mm-hmm. you using your voice to do that mm-hmm. But I love that you're saying, like, I think out of love to be able to call things out. Like, we don't have to be PC or sensitive if there's destruction and dehumanizing of people. Yeah. That is a place where you stand up and you don't have to use, you know, Christian kindness yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah. to be able to speak into it. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So you're... Um, you know, your church here in, in San Francisco, I know, mm-hmm. is no is well known in the community for mm-hmm. being a an affirming yeah. space. Is that why you guys chose to be a part of it? Were you a part of the transition of them becoming affirming? Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. We joined the church right around the time that this whole conversation was happening with um, opening up membership to folks who are LGBT. Um, and previously it had been kind of like a, you can join the church, but we're not sure if you can kind of like be involved at certain levels. And, um, you know, you'd need to be, if you are LGBT, you need to be celibate, um, and that kind of thing. And so just, you know, I, I don't know that I was totally as aware of that conversation as I should or could have been. Um, and in a lot of ways it was, the kind of current elder board at the time of the church and then our senior pastor, Fred Harrell, having a number of conversations um, with people in the pews that led to this change. And so that was a really, you know, hard and good thing to be part of, hard in that um, it was a dividing moment in the church. There were a number of people who left, and that was very sad. Um, And at the same time, really I feel so grateful and glad now to be part of a church where um, I would be real glad to bring Danny to bring my brother with and I'd be really glad to bring um, you know other friends who are gay that uh, have not had a church home for a while Mm -hmm. like it it just feels really good to me to Mm -hmm. be able to bring them into a place like City Church Um, but there was certainly like I came into that conversation with lots of blind spots and Really, the main reason we chose City Church when we moved here was um, kind of twofold. We could walk to it. Mm-hmm. At the time, they had a campus in the Mission. That's been folded back into the main campus now. But um, I love that we could walk to it, and um, a lot of our friends went there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason a lot of people go to sure. church anywhere. Do I know someone? Will yeah. I not feel like the new kid? Yeah. Um, and then it's just happened to be a really excellent place. And so we didn't go through the whole, like, church shopping thing when we moved to the city it was just kind of like okay this is it that's cool yeah we talk uh, a lot 
on this podcast about what it means to be the church. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, you know, you obviously stated that you enjoy the Sunday gathering and the service culture of that. Yeah. And what you just said reminds me of how um, for most people, the church is a gathering of uh, it's a community. It's it's people. Uh, you know, yes, we want, quote unquote, good music or quote mm-hmm. unquote, good messages, also known as sermons. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we'll put up with less than because of who's there, who yeah. gathers with us, because those are the people that are going to come to our, our hospitals when we're in need or yeah. care for our kids when we're sick or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, in regards to your brother, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how I just heard about this from my friend, Matt, who's yeah. our, our my, he's one of my third co-host on this podcast, <laughs> Matt Nightingale. I don't know if nice. you know him, but he's been, he shared his coming out story on here mm-hmm. and kind of helped me with my blind spots. So, so he's cool. like, you got to talk to her about, cause he met Danny at a oh cool poetry slam or something. There's, or something Possible. okay yeah. i don't know it's probably so like music, literary something event. oh yeah because danny's an author as danny's well that's what it, well. that's what yes. it is yeah so matt nightingale is a shout out to you <laughs> and danny ortberg mm-hmm. is his name uh recently this year transitioned yep. into becoming a man yep uh, so how has that been for you or what's that like? Do you want to talk about it? Can you talk about it? Yeah, I think I don't, what I don't want to do, I don't want to make it too much about me or my responses, except to just say like, it's, I love him. He's my buddy and has been ever since we were kids. And, um, you know, it, it was really hard for him to go through that process. Um, he has written a little bit about it in different places online, but, um, I think for him to be you know, really afraid of like, what will happen if I'm honest about this and to spend time really wrestling with, uh, I'm scared that, you know, people might not, uh, accept me. I'm, I'm, this seems absurd. How could I possibly feel this way? Um, experiencing some really just hard times around that thought. And then finally having the courage to say, okay, I'm going to start to try this. I'm going to start to try hormones. Mm. I'm, you know, um, he is a hero to me and, you know, I get just emotional thinking about all that he went through, um, to, uh, transition and the level of honesty he had with our family, which is something that he could easily have not done because being, you know, I th- our family has been, is wonderful, but it's a Christian family. And I think he could have kind of used that as a reason for like not talking with my parents or me. And, um, Danny's very much a Christian too. And, so having all these conversations has just been a lot and really good and definitely hard at times. And um, I think my parents have done a wonderful job of just loving him incredibly well through all of this and making real clear that there's nothing he could do that would take away their love. And not just that non-negative aspect of it, but like we we love you as Danny. Um, we don't just love you as this version of who you know we thought you were and should be but we love you as who you are now has been incredibly important and rich and meaningful um and yeah Danny just will always be an incredible hero to me the bravery that he has shown the love and and respect that he has shown and I think a lot of that is born out of um you know his experience um just in the last few years kind of uh being really, really thoughtful about therapy and who he is and being very honest in a kind and loving way that makes me want to do the same. So beautiful. Yeah. I just love that. 
I think the stories on this podcast uh, where I get to sit and listen to people, how they've experienced God mm-hmm. in, in challenging spaces. Again, so many blind spots, but yeah. when, when I think about the people who've gone through, I'll say, I'll speak on the challenge of accepting an LGBTQIA person in their yeah. life. Uh, because of Matt sharing his story and then another uh, mm-hmm. guy who came out named Jaron Hess, mm-hmm. he shared his coming out story here. I just, I've gotten maybe five or six emails from people sure. who have said things like that really helped me, you know? Mm-hmm. So to being able to hear like, Hey, here's a sibling yeah. who's walking through, could call their sibling mm-hmm. who's transitioning a hero. Mm-hmm. Like we need those stories. Mm-hmm. And I think, yes, uh, we are in a, a space and time where we are evolving as a people, how we understand scripture, how we understand God. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, this was a totally different yeah. conversation. Certainly. And I, you know, I've talked on this podcast, even with my friend who came out, I did many things wrong mm-hmm. in the past. I used wrong language or saw yeah. the situation wrong. And now, uh, and, and I honestly would say I was, I would probably be scared if I knew 20 years ago where I would be today, because I would <laughs> think, what happened to yeah. you? Where yeah. are you? Uh, do you not care about the Bible anymore? But I feel as if I care about the Bible even more mm-hmm. today because of how I'm understanding, how we understand scripture and what I missed in the past. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if you, how that's been for you as you're in this space as a writer and a prolific author mm-hmm. speaking into this time and space, has the Bible, have you changed mm-hmm. in how you relate to the Bible, how you understand the Bible? How was that for you in your process? Yeah, I I just I think I find myself drawn over and over again in the Bible to books and passages um that really make the most out of the mystery of faith. Um you know, every week at church now in City Church belongs to the Reformed Church in America, it's RCA denomination and there's a liturgy that goes along with lots of different of the church services and at one point right before we take communion, um, we say, uh, let us proclaim the mystery of the faith. And I love that that is a thing that we do in church on Sundays because there's so much about faith and, you know, evangelical Christianity in America. There's a lot about it that I love, but with it can come this idea that like we need to be certain about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense that, like, well, science is only science as long as it proves what I believe about the Bible. Um, or, you know, like the, the ways that we think about, uh, how the earth was created must fit into this modern view that also jives with scripture. And, um, I feel a lot more, I think because I'm a person who wants certainty paradoxically, I'm coming to feel a lot more and more attracted to the mystery of faith. Um, and to see scripture through, that the lens of kind of like I have to do with my anxiety, accepting that I will not know everything. I don't feel like I have a lot of certainty about um, things like the end of the world or what a lot of the passages mean, like in Romans 1, talking about a man lying with man. And would I like for that to be illuminated? Like, yeah, I, if God hears this and if God has listened to your podcast and wants to come <laughs> God, hang out are you Are you a cannolio? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Then I'd love to like love to get that illuminated. Um, I I love the Bible because it reveals Jesus to me. Like that, you know, ever since I was a little girl and accepted Jesus into my heart at four years old, I got this little pink 
New Testament and I still have it and I don't use that one anymore, but I've got it. And um, Does it have precious moments? Is it connected? It doesn't, but okay. I did get a couple of those. Okay, figurines. I was going to say, I feel like I can see those things yeah. connected to There was a Bible too Bible, at one yeah. point. I had one. That, that one didn't stay with me. My favorite Bible actually as a kid was like a, it was this like really cool cartoon drawing Bible. Like a graphic like, novel kind of? Yes, like a graphic I, novel. Yeah. It wasn't like cartoonish. It was totally Yeah, I remember yeah, that one. I loved that one. Yeah. Um, but it, like so much of... The story of Christianity doesn't make sense to me or to a lot of people, like that Jesus would be born where he was, when he was, to whom he was, that, um, you know, David is obviously one of the ultimate paradoxes in terms of being a person who's after God's heart and then is just, you know, a terrible murderer Mm -hmm. and um, clearly like not after God's own heart in many ways. And um, you see someone like, Esther, who lives in a lot of fear and has to be encouraged by her uncle to do the right thing. And then she does. And she's so brave. And um, there's a lot in the Bible that I don't understand, but I love it all. And I hope to be shaped by it all. And so I don't feel like, um, I don't know, I don't feel like I have a particularly changed view of the Bible over time, especially because even though as I was growing up in probably more conservative area and church than the one that I'm part of now. Um, in my, f- my immediate family, uh, there was a lot of love for the Bible, a lot of understanding that it's complicated and complex and not meant to be, you know, like a how to instruction for, um, a lot of different things. So I think that shaped my understanding of it a lot. And, um, I feel pretty like, yeah, pretty solid. Bible's good. It's a good thing. Love it. You should go get it. Read it if you yep. have. Yeah. As we say in this podcast, sacred and strange. And there you it's go. Perfect. I love That's that. Good. I yeah. love all that stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you are coming up to uh, a conference. Yeah. Can you promote it? Nadia Bowles Weber and yeah. you and one other person? Well, Rachel Held Evans. So right, Nadia Bowles Weber and Rachel Held Evans put it on um, every year, and they've been doing this for, I think, a few years now. And so it's going to be in San Francisco, I believe, in February. I need to check my calendar. Um, it might be March, so don't quote me on that. But oh, it's called. We'll have the date. Yeah, out thank there. you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Why Christian, and it's basically asking the question: Why are you still a Christian? Yeah. Um, with all these reasons not to be, why is that still important to you? And there are a bunch of different speakers, um, and I think they all get fifteen. We all get fifteen minutes to talk about That's that, cool. and it's going to be at Grace Cathedral, which is a beautiful, beautiful building. Um, sacred and strange at the top Mm -hmm. of the hill in San Francisco. So Mm -hmm. yeah, if you are interested or want to come, that would be a great, great, great conference. It's a one day thing. You know, it should be, it might be one or two. I clearly am like not doing a great job on the details. We're going to promote it and it's in 2019 and these other authors are amazing. Is it all women by the way? It is not all women. Yeah. I'm going to look up the lineup. Do it while you do that. Nadia Bowles Weber is one of my favorite people on Twitter too. She's mm-hmm. got a little handle called Sarcastic Lutheran. Gotta love that. And Rachel Held Evans, I've talked about her book uh, Inspired before, as well as uh, Discovering Oh wait, Discovering Church, Discovering Sunday, something. She's searching for Sunday. Searching for yeah. Sunday. There you go. One of my favorite books in this past year that has mm-hmm. helped me sort of redefine. Uh, what it means to be a part of the church. So I highly recommend you go and listen to these speakers and we'll put the info out to make sure everyone on the Holy Cannoli listener. Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a bunch of ladies and they let a couple dudes in too. So that'll be <laughs> fine. It's fine. We'll let them come. Um, it's April 5th and 6th. Awesome. Yeah. April 5th and 6th, 2019 in San Francisco. And Laura, well, before we get to your handles, a couple of random 
random rapid fire questions. Are you a hugger? Yes, I am. You're a hugger. Mm-hmm. Cool. I hugged you. You, you did. Have a cold. Yeah, I you're you. right. See, yeah. yeah. But how about strangers and people? Do you hug people? Like it depends on like if I get a good vibe from them, probably yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Because there's some, especially as like a woman, there's some guys that you can just tell yeah. like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hug you. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, I like a good hug. Okay, cool. Yeah. Ever cried in your car, or have you cried in your car recently? And what was it about? Probably when my son was crying in the car. <laughs> I just start crying. One of the oh. things I started to do is like when he makes a noise, I'll just make it back to him. <laughs> I don't know as a parenting strategy how that goes, but he's five months old. He'll be fine. And so I think there was a time Zach and I were driving back from Santa Barbara and it had just been a really long day and Chance was crying most of the drive. And so I think I started crying then too. Right on. And Chance, by the way, we didn't get to that. Yeah. But what a perfect name. Read the article. Yeah. You'll know why. And TV, what are you watching and how are you experiencing oh. the sacred and strangeness of the divine through any TV show, That's if you are? Lovely question. Well, one of my favorite new shows, which isn't new, but um, new to me is Schitt's Creek. Oh my gosh, I was watching Netflix. it last night. Oh, oh. <laughs> I love Schitt's great. Creek. <laughs> it's so wonderful. I'm already kind of excited. Zach has plans tomorrow night. So once the baby goes to bed, he's going out to meet some friends. And I'm already like, oh, I'm going to order Indian food and watch Schitt's Creek. You guys, watch it's- it. It's just delightful. And I found, you know, I found myself drawn to a lot of like prestige TV in recent years. And now I just, the world's heavy enough. And so I'm (laughs) really trending the other direction. So this is just, it's funny. It's like, it's about like a weird family who loses all their money and they have to go back to this town called Schitt's Creek that the dad played by Eugene Levy purchased as a joke in the 1990s. And um, the way that families work is so funny to me. And they're, you know, it's all Canadian and it's just, it's a treat. Oh, it's so good. And yeah. shit spelled S-C-H-I-T-T. Yes. And the, the, remember that. Yeah, and the family that runs the town, that's their last name. So the, the mayor's name is Roland Shit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was watching it last night, cracking it up. My wife was like, what do you watch? She kept taking my <laughs> headphones out to see how oh, funny it was. Oh. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to tweet at you? If you want to find me on Twitter, uh, it is at LKO Turner. The L is lowercase, so people always say it looks like Ico Turner. Okay. Um, I don't know how to change that, so just <laughs> LKO Turner looks like Ico. With all your free time, you can kind of Google yeah. how, to, how to do that. I'll work on it. And then anything else you want to promote before you want people to check out before we get out? No, I mean, Twitter is really where I, I, most of the articles and stuff I'm working on will all be there, so that's a good spot. And then, yeah, the Y Christian Conference coming up. Check it out if you want to. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today.